Alright, who would ever think we'd get to episode 4 of JNC in the evening? We're back on your phone on Fridays, and we got really just two sports we're talking about. Postseason baseball and midweek football. I don't know what's a little more exciting for me. It's postseason baseball, obviously. But there's some stuff with NFL football that should be talked about. Why are these roughing the passer penalties happening so much? You know, we discussed that right about now. We'll talk about some teams melting down in the postseason. All this and more coming up on JNC, and I'm advertising it like the episode is not right now, but it is, Caleb. It is right now. It's right now, Jeff. It's real. I'm excited. We got a good one for you guys. The Mariners obviously had a great win against the Blue Jays, and pitching was a concern for the Blue Jays, and the Mariners came back from a nine-run deficit to face the Astros, and safe to say their uh, the wind in their sails have gone drastically down. I would agree with that, Jeff. Down 2-0 in the series now after tonight's game. But hey, it all dates back to game one. You got to win game one, especially in such a crucial situation. Up by two in the last inning. But hey, who's your daddy? Yeah, <laughs> who's your daddy? But I think one of the biggest concerns for me looking at the Mariners is that their pitchers catch a lot of barrels. A lot of barrels. It also doesn't help when the Seattle Mariners manager puts in Robbie Ray. Do you know how many career saves Robbie Ray has in his MLB career? I'm going to go with an educated guess and say zero. You would be correct. Zero saves, and he gets put in such a sticky situation. You've seen managers put their starting pitchers in before in postseason games. It's not out of the norm. It's we've not seen, out of the norm, yeah. no. And we've, we've seen, seen it with Madison Bumgarner. Kershaw has done it as well. Um, a lot more as well off the top of those are only two off the top of our heads but I'm looking at the Mariners this season pitching and their barrel percentage along with the rest of the league is it's a, it's the bottom percentage of the league where the league averages around 7.5 and the Mariners are averaging around 7.7 that's at the bottom 1 to 0% of the league yikes yeah especially in that Blue Jays series the offense definitely bailed out the pitching can't say the same so far for the Houston series, but... And with that, the Mariners' exit velocity for pitchers is at 88.4. And that MLB, MLB average is 88.6, but it's still at the bottom 1% of the league. That's insane. That's a crazy stat. The offense is there. We've seen it. Uh, Cal Raleigh is big dumper, just big sending the blue send, yes. Sending the Mariners to the playoffs. It's been good, but they really only have three pitchers the Mariners only have three pitchers that can really decrease that exit velocity and that hard hit percentage and one of them is Diego Castillo who's been money and he's and he's top 10 percent of the league in exit velocity from the regular season and then Andres Munoz has been really good this year too um with an 86.2 top eight percent in the league and uh Paul Seawalt those are the only three pitchers that can lower those exit velocities and hard hit balls for sure so they're down 2-0. They're coming back to the M's. First time since 2001 that the Mariners are going to host the postseason game. Sierra was born. Crazy. I don't think that was needed, but thank you. Hey, they wanted to know that. <laughs> sure they did. But um, I expect the Mariners to get a win. Wow, really? I, I think, think they're so. going to get swept. Because they had Houston by the cajones in game one. They were up by seven runs, but... Or, I'm sorry, they were up like 7-4, to four, but if it wasn't for Jordan Alvarez, it would have been one nothing Mariners. Yeah, that was the first walk-off home run in postseason history with the team trailing by multiple runs. 
It's the second time in postseason history that a player homered with two outs in the bottom of the ninth since, can you guess? I'm giving you the little sign right here. 1988. 1988, Kirk Gibson against the Oakland Athletics. It's been a while since we've seen a good postseason it comeback has. like that. It really has, and hopefully the Mariners will have shades of that in Washington, but the Mets won't have that because they got bounced in three games versus the Padres, and I'll give credit to the Padres. They've been playing some good baseball right now. They've been playing some good baseball, but is it a factor of the Padres playing good baseball or Edwin Diaz's trumpet? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Seinfeld did call this when he, he had a quote, he had a tweet or an Instagram post about when Edwin Diaz's narco song was uh, filling Twitter with so much trendiness. And Seinfeld had something to say about that. It's like, we why are we celebrating something in the regular season? We haven't won anything. It was the same thing when Who Let the Dogs Out and the series ended right there when the Mets last in 1999. And I'm not saying that's the that's the the give and take, the take of the why the Mets got out. There are a lot of more reasons why the Mets got out is that their chase contact for hitters and their solid ball percentage and their chase contact for pitchers are big. Um, the Mets' solid ball percentage this year, which was how many balls they hit hard into play, which is above a 95 exit velo, 95 mile an hour exit velo, um, the Mets were averaging 5.8. Hard balls, solid percentage per game. And the league average is 6.1. So they were getting oh, they were getting off with a lot of weak contact. So they're at 4.8 a game, which is higher than league average. I think that's another big reason of why just the Mets couldn't put together solid hits. And we'll go over to the chase contact of hitters as well, which is also why they probably get those bloop hits. Okay, there's chase contact is 61%, which league average is 50, 57%. And it's safe to say that Mets offense just chases out of the zone, and that's how they get their weak hits. But if those pitchers make a good enough pitch, they're going to strike out. Yeah, that's where you see teams like the Dodgers' success in the playoffs, right? I mean, they have arguably the most patient hitters in the league, and I would argue that they hit the, they have probably the highest, most exit velos on average in yes. games. yeah. And it's, I think we talked about pitching as well with the Mets, and the chase contact for pitchers is awfully low. It's le- it's b- below league average, and that means those pitchers are not executing pitches as much as they'd want to do it. Which is crazy on a staff with Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and Chris Bassett, who mm-hmm. did pretty good for the A's the previous season, not coming yes. in with the Mets. But Chris Bassett did have a good game three start, but it wasn't enough until because the Padres beat them. And Max Scherzer, a little concerning, giving up, the most postseason runs in any of his outings. Yeah, I think he's yeah, he allowed four postseason home runs in a single game to the Padres, which really set the tone for the wild card series, I thought. I agree. I agree. And moving over to the other wild card, the Phillies upset the Cardinals in a clean game, clean two game sweep as they moved on to the Braves and they stole one from Atlanta. They did steal one from Atlanta. Bryce Harper coming up big, reigning NL MVP at the plate he's producing for the Phillies Phillies are looking good right now despite their loss the other night um the pitching staff looks really good they look promising honestly they do they really do and I think the Braves were just um effect of those long those five days off just like just like any other team I definitely agree those five long days off I mean it can either help you if you have injuries or it could really hinder you from 
you know, not seeing live pitching, not getting reps on the field, you know, just takes a little bit to shake off it's the rest. It's all what say. you do in those five if in those five days. Yeah, I and I think on based on the Dodgers' performance in Game One, they did stuff well. They did stuff well, yeah. But I mean, I would argue the Dodgers are on a different level than the Braves. But hey, that's yet to be seen. It's pretty close. Yeah, they're 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 pretty close stat wise. Um, pitching offense. The Dodgers actually executed with runners on base in game one. They did that super well, and they weren't always relying off the home run, which they were in game two. They had three home runs and three innings, but in rut with runners in scoring position, they were 0 for 6. Yeah, you can't be having that in a postseason game. And the bottom half of the lineup, which was Trace and Cody Bellinger, they were combined 0 for 10 in those two games. Yikes. Yeah, Belly in the playoffs. I mean, he's had some big playoff moments, but he has. obviously as of late, not so much. Um, the the Dodgers decided to go the same game one and two lineup back-to-back. Do you think they should have made changes based on the first game? Or do you think they're, since they won, it was good to keep the same lineup? I honestly like the Dodgers lineup a lot. They got a lot of lefties in there, which I really like. And they saw the ball off Clevenger really good. Granted, Clevenger's history against the Dodgers is atrocious. But doesn't yeah, pan out well for him. Does not pan out well for him. Honestly, as soon as he got out to the mound, me and Jeff were watching the game together, and I was like, why are they throwing out Clevenger? I, I knew it was wraps. Yeah. But honestly, the Padres surprised me. That game could have been 12-0 really easy, especially with getting the two runs off Clevenger in the first. I was surprised how the Padres battled back, especially their bullpen. Their bullpen looks really solid. It does. I would argue that they have a better bullpen than the Dodgers, and I think that's going to show up a lot you in think? this series. I really think so. I think the I honestly I think the Dodgers are going to be missing Jansen a lot this postseason. I agree with that. They have decided to leave Craig Kimbrell off of the postseason roster, and that's going to be a closer by committee. And last and game one, Chris Martin closed it out. He only gave up one hit, but retired everything else. wasn't a big deal. But it's going to be those the factor of those close games. And with game two, the Padres' bullpen was much better. Much better. Nick Martinez is looking pretty solid. I would argue that he looked more solid in game one than game two. But I think the Padres got a good bullpen. I do too. And I, I'm, I'm being a Dodgers fan as I am. I'll give credit where credit is due. The Dodgers in game one had a big double, double play to end the inning. And the Padres... Just last Wednesday, first and third, one out, Dodgers, and Gavin Lux round to a double play, big one to end it. And it was definitely a momentum shifter. But the Dodgers definitely have to fix with runners in scoring position. The long ball is great and everything, but in order to win these good games, they have to have to hit with runners in scoring position. There were so many times, and I went to this game, there were so many times, bases loaded, second and third, first and second. Less than two outs, it was hard to move a runner over. Yeah, definitely. And in the postseason, too, even with a runner on first, it's a different atmosphere than the regular season because, you know, even with a runner on first, it feels like a rally. And with a, with a lineup as good as the Dodgers, there's really no excuses for why you're not executing with runners in scoring position. I really agree with that. With runner on first, with the Dodgers, it feels like there's anything can happen, especially with a fast guy, fast some fast guys, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, and on the other side, we can go Trent Grisham, Jerks, and Profar. We can go both ends if they got some speedy guys. But I'm just thinking just runners on first. It's big. It's really super big. big. Runs are so hard to come by in the postseason. Even one run, granted, late in innings, one run doesn't feel like much, even two at the Astros and Mariners game. But, 
Yeah, any runs in the postseason that you can scratch, they're big. Yep. And if you're feeling a little lonely on Thursday, because there was only one game on on Thursday, and that was the Astros and Mariners. The Guardians and Yankees game got moved because of weather. And do you think the Guardians win another one at Yankee Stadium? Do you think the Guardians, let me rephrase, win one at Yankee Stadium with the Yankees winning game one? I thought they were going to take game one with Quan hitting that solo shot off Garrett Cole. Cole's notorious for giving up bombs in his outings. And, um, I mean, as soon as he gave up that one against Quan, he looked pretty solid after that. But I really thought they were going to take game one. Game two, I believe Nestor is going to be pitching for the Yankees. That's nasty. I think the Yankees pitching is definitely better than the Guardians. And give credit to the Guardians where credit is due. They have the youngest MOB roster on average. And, man, they they put up a fight against the Yankees. I think they'll take game two, hopefully. My tight add, they have the lowest strikeout rate in the MLB in that in that Guardians lineup. And that's huge. And with Garrett Cole striking out eight guys, that's pretty darn good. That is really good. Cole honestly looked locked in from the get-go. Even with Quan's home run, that could have gone either way. He could have melted down, but he really, you know, strapped in, really delivered for the Yankees, and that was pretty big for them. It was really big for them. I'm assuming the game is on Friday night. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's on at 10.07. So we are getting a full slate of baseball tomorrow or on Friday. And that's, I love that. I love just sitting down on the couch just watching baseball, flipping through TBS, Fox Sports. Dodgers obviously in prime. Dodgers Padres in prime time at 5.37 on Fox Sports 1. But you know what? As a Dodger fan, it's going to be pretty cool to see Petco Park in, play, in playoff form. It's going to be really cool. I believe it's the first home game in 16 years. I'm not really sure what happened in 2020. I know there's no fans. No I think, fans. I think it was they, in Texas. Oh, it was in te- oh, yeah. Everything was in Texas. So, yeah, first home game in San Diego at Petco Park. Playoff game since 2006, I believe. Yep. It's going to be a good one. The fans are going to come out. This is a great series. This is the best series, I think. I think it's a pretty good one, too. And like you said, in 2006, that's when the Padres last hosted a game at Petco Park. And there was a player on that Padres team that led the Padres in hits in that in that NLDS. Do you know who it was? If Adrian Gonzalez was on that team back then, I'm going to say no. It was Dave Roberts. Oh, Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, manager of the Dodgers, led the Padres in hits in that NLDS in 2006, which is is it a coincidence? No. Is it pretty cool to see? Yes. But I think that's a little interesting little tidbit fun fact to have. Yeah, I agree. This Dodgers-Padres rivalry dates back quite a bit, apparently, it with does. Dave Roberts. So, Do you think this series goes five games? Because you got to think about the matchups here. So you got Gonsolin and Musgrove. Or, I'm sorry, you got Gonsolin Snow, right? and Snell. Game three. I think Blake Snow has the Dodgers number, honestly. I think it's going to be really difficult. If the Dodgers don't execute with runners in scoring position, which is obviously a no-brainer, but especially if they don't execute on the road, that's going to be really difficult for them to come out with a win. I think Snell has Goslin. I think I would rather have Snell on the mound for me than Goslin in this game because Blake Snell has playoff success against the Dodgers. Granted, it's a little bit of a different lineup this year, you know, they have Freddie Freeman. They're more stacked. I would like to say that the pods take it in five. I'm not sure. but So you're putting the Padres winning the series. I'm going to have the Padres winning the series. Oh, I my think, goodness. I think 
you can't for this series you can't lose a game at home if you're the dodgers that game two loss was huge those are gonna happen though those are gonna happen but the padres have home field advantage now they go back and play two at home the dodgers might if they don't take advantage in game three and game four there might not be another postseason game it's Chavez Ravine this postseason. I hope not. Uh, Snell against the Dodgers has a one and one record with a two five ERA, which was what around Darvish was. Near, I do agree that Snell, when he was on the Rays, he was dialed in for him. But that was Tampa Bay Ray Blake Snell. This is San Diego Padre Blake Snell, which who's been completely different. Yeah, he's not been the same. I'll give you that. He has. At least given up, and he has given up almost an earned run in every single one of his outings except for three. And his latest one against the Dodgers, he went five innings with no earned runs. And I think that game, the Padres bullpen realized to step up because Blake Snell isn't too notorious for going late into postseason games. He's big on pitch count. That's very true, as you saw in the 2020 World Series against the Dodgers. Yeah, honestly, whoever bullpen steps up in this series and whoever can execute with runners in scoring position. That's going to be the deciding factor in this series. I really hope the this game doesn't this series doesn't go into five games, but if it does, I think I have the Dodgers because you're going to pitch Snell on Friday. You're probably going to pitch Musgrove on the second game, and then who do you go to? Clevenger? And then you go, or you're not going to go Darvish. Yeah, you're probably going to have to go Clevenger again, which we saw what happened. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game five call, and that's going to be at the Ravine too. And the Dodgers will definitely have Urias go in Game 5, without a doubt. Yeah, he looked super solid. But honestly, I think him and Clayton had some pretty similar numbers in their outings this series. And Clayton didn't... I mean, what would you say about Hold his on. performance? Before you say that, Clayton Kershaw and you Darvish had the same stat line at the end of the day. That's very true, and I don't think Darvish looked that great. Darvish, he, did, he didn't have his breaking stuff going for him, gave up those three solo shots... It's safe to say Kershaw definitely could have had a better outing, and so did Darvish. But before people go and slander Clayton Kershaw for another bad outing, not even a bad outing. It was it decent. Was, it was mediocre at best. It was Three good. Runs. Honestly, it was good enough it to It kept get him them. in the game. Yeah, exactly. It kept him in the game. You got to look at Darvish's stat line as well. And his postseason numbers don't really vary as well. I mean, they're probably better than Kershaw's, but they're not as good. They're also less. The yes. sample size is definitely less. Yes, that's true. And I just want to put that out there before we... Interesting stat, too, this. is Kershaw's up there in postseason strikeout history. I think he has 208 coming into game two. Yeah. Around there. And he's... I don't know if he's the leader, but he's definitely, like, top two or three in postseason strikeouts, which I thought was interesting, especially because of the narrative of his struggles in the postseason. I agree with that. And we will talk more about the postseason in next podcast. And we'll probably be in the NLCS and the ALCS at that time. Yeah, that'll we definitely be exciting. Will be. That'll be exciting. So, four teams will be gone. Two teams will be eliminated, or four teams will be eliminated by the time you guys see this podcast. Um, and getting ready for the next one. But man, we gotta stop talking postseason baseball. We could I do know. this the entire we podcast. We do this all day. But let's wrap over to some NFL football. Let's go to the gridiron, Jeff. Gridiron. I'm ready to talk gridiron. Talk football. Talk some controversial stuff that's going on. Caleb, what do we got? Week 5 recap. We can't go talking about Week 5 without mentioning Josh Allen's insane numbers against the Steelers. 
Josh Allen put on an absolute clinic with 424 yards with four touchdown passes. Good which, week in fantasy. Which, by the way, gave the Steelers their worst loss in the Mike Tomlin era, which dates back quite You're a kidding. few years. Wow. Not even scoring a touchdown. And I know that they're having quarterback controversies over there with Kenny Pickett not really living up to expectations. There's a lot of really good trade rumors going on right now. I'm excited to see what happens. I agree with that. And the Bills, are stay, are safe, it's safe to stay. They're looking like the favorites in the AFC right now, for sure. Moving on, we got Taysom Hill running in for three touchdowns, including a 60-yarder in the fourth quarter. Where did this guy come from? Where right? did he come Where from? Where did he come from? He's snatching touchdowns from Olave and Kamara. Fantasy owners can't be too happy about that. To go along with that, he also threw a 22-yard touchdown. Jeff, is Hill the most unique player in the NFL that we've seen in this generation? I'm not going to compare him to Shohei Otani, but it's a, it's shades of because he just does so much. I think he's very unique. He's almost as unique as Cordell Patterson. I think Cordell Patterson and Taysom Hill are really cool to watch. They play a whole bunch of positions, and Taysom Hill is just such a Swiss Army knife. He's like that one stud that you have on your high school football team that plays special teams, offense, defense. He's the high school quarterback. He's the point guard for the basketball team. He's the best pitcher on the baseball team. He's Mr. Popular. He's Mr. Popular. That's Taysom Hill for you. I actually take that. He's like pop. He's like the underrated popular guy. He is like the underrated popular guy. I didn't even know that Taysom Hill was having a career up until he did that. Until he did all of that. But it's something. He's something sneaky good. He's sneaky. Yeah, if they use him right, the stands can be pretty good. All right, next up, we got the controversy with Tom Brady. Quote, unquote, I don't throw the flags. Did that roughing the passer call on Tom Brady, did that cost the Atlanta Falcons a game? I think it most definitely did because it was a terrible call, say the least. I could have used a lot worse language for that, but it was a bad call. And the Falcons, another gruesome gruesome loss to add to the L column, but they were looking pretty good against the Super Bowl champs. And that leads into Chris Jones' controversial, to say the least, Roughing the passer call on Derek Call while recovering a fumble. Jeff, has that ever happened in the history of the oh NFL where you get a roughing the passer call and end up with the football in your hands at the end of the play? That was unreal. I didn't know what that's a clean tackle. What are you supposed to do when you're coming you're coming up behind of him and you're supposed to just kind of tap him on the shoulder, like, hey, let me take this, thank you. That is a clean, clean tackle. I don't know what refs were doing about that. And later on in the game, Patrick Mahomes actually had a roughing the passer where a defender, I don't know if it was Max Crosby or Chris Jones or Chandler Jones throwing him down, that was an actual roughing the passer. If I'd be lying if I said Chiefs fans weren't pissed about that, as they were. There were boos showering the field there for sure. So it's def- that rough. The, there's more and more roughings the passers out there. And I think it's because of Tua, the recent. Paranoid concussion uprise for i would sure. definitely agree with that next up we have matt rule the first head coach of the season fired fired before nathan hackett was this a surprise or did he have this coming i don't even know why they hired this man in the first place he had three games as head coach under his name three that's it they're missing ron rivera to i say have the nothing least. else to say about this this was this was a stupid Carolina call, and they have some decent talent. And now their season is basically wasted because when I see it as a quarterback getting fired or a run or a coach getting fired, season's gone. That takes away a lot of team morale. It does. 
And also, there's a lot of uh, trade rumors going on around, you know, their star running back, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. I heard some rumors that he might be going to the Buffalo Bills. I would hate that. That would, That'd oh my be gosh. so OP. That would be so That'd OP. That would be so OP. As a fantasy owner of him, I would love it because the Bills are lacking in the running game a little bit. Granted, they have Singletary, but I mean... That's Christian, just putting an explanation point on their offense. Christian McCaffrey's PPR could be literally insane with Josh Allen. I agree. All right. That leads us into... Dun, dun, Wait dun, a dun, minute. Dun. Oh. We forgot one big recap. Let's hear it. The Chargers and Browns game, it came down to a very controversial call by Brandon Staley. And what it was is the Chargers were at their own 45, fourth and two, with a minute 10 left to go. I'm assuming, watching Red Zone, they punted down the field, they pinned them at their own 5-10 to 10 yard line, the worst 20, and they have a minute to go down the field. Staley decides, let's go for it on our own 45. Cross right over to Mike Williams, incomplete. I'm looking at this, I'm looking at my phone because I'm watching Red Zone, and I'm thinking, how did they already get to our 45-yard line? Did they have a good play? Did they have something? Red Zone flips back to the game. Scott Hansen, Brandon Saley decided to go for it, and the Chargers might be chargering. Are we serious right now? Luckily, Cade York missed the field goal. He'll never have to buy a drink in L.A. again. I like what that. What was with the – I don't understand the play call. That was definitely on the coach. That was – Staley's definitely on the hot seat for that one because we know he loves to go for it for fourth on fourth down. Yeah, that kind of adds to a couple other controversial fourth down calls we got going on in the league right now, like with John Harbaugh and the Ravens the other week. Um, yeah, this definitely adds to that. But, hey, they walked away with the W. That's all that matters. Yep. All right. We are getting now into our week six pickums. It is time for this. It's fast. It's furious. It's serious. Caleb, let's go. Bucks at Steelers. I'm going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Couldn't have said any better. Bengals at Saints. I'm going with the Cincinnati Joe Burr Bengals. Bengals Saints. I like the Saints in this one. I like the Saints. Jameis Winston might be coming back. All right, Jags at Colts. I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jags too. They're looking good, even though they're they're away, but they're going to be crushing in that film. Patriots at Browns. I'm going with the Patriots. Mac Jones maybe come back this Sunday. Give me the Browns on this one. I like the Browns at home. They've been looking good. Jets at Packers. I'm going with the Green Bay Packers. Ooh, okay. I like the Packers. Aaron Rodgers looking for a little revenge after losing to the Giants. Ravens at Giants. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens to expose the Giants. On yeah, this one. I agree. Ra- Giants have played easy people this entire year. It's going to be Ravens. Vikings at Dolphins. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. It's really hard to bet on the Dolphins right now with their quarterback situation. Exactly. And with Tyreek Hill out, I think it's going to be Vikings. They're the healthiest team right now. 49ers at Falcons. I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers. Panthers at Rams. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams on this one. I agree. Rams, even though they haven't been looking too good, but you can't be worse than the Panthers, right? Cardinals at Seahawks. I'm going to go with the Seahawks defending home turf with the 12th man rocking. Okay. I'll take Cardinals on this one. They've been they've been very competitive so far. Very competitive. Game of the week. Rematch of last year's AFC Championship. Possibly one of the greatest postseason games the NFL has ever seen in its history. We got the Buffalo Bills at the Chiefs, and I'm going with the Bills. The Chiefs are underdogs at this one at home for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career. Okay. Okay. 
I like the Chiefs in this one. You're at home. You can't get past them. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. Cowboys at Eagles. I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. I like the one. Cowboys too, dude. I Cooper Rush is that guy. Those These are both really good defenses. So I think it's going to be Cowboys. 100%. I mean, have the Eagles even seen a defense this good this whole season? I don't know. I don't know. All right, we got the... Broncos country, let's ride. Russell Wilson, Denver Broncos at your Los Angeles Chargers in SoFi Stadium. And I'm going to go with the Chargers at home. Chargers to Cleo Max going to sack Russell Wilson about three times. All right, Jeff, that leads us into some more segments from this last week. Let's talk the Giants, 4-1. and one. Are they a fluke? I mean, they beat Green Bay in London, but how how credible is that game, you know? I think they are a fluke. The Packers, I don't know what the Packers were doing for game plan wise on there, but I think that was their that was their first real win of the year, for sure. Oh, I definitely agree with that for sure. It was their first real win. They lost to the only good team, and that was the Cowboys. They lost to them. It's hard to argue against that win when the Giants scored seventeen unanswered points in the second half and Saquon had an absolute monster game. Saquon is a big factor of why the Giants are four though. I'll give him that. Hundred percent. All right, next we got the Cowboys. There's a lot going on with them boys over in Dallas. I mean, where do we start? Cooper Rush, is Dak Prescott feeling the pressure to come back with Cooper Rush leading the Cowboys to such a good record? You know, I I don't think there's any pressure at all. They're going to ease him in. There's no rush to get him back. And Cooper Rush is holding things down, staying undefeated with Jalen Hurts. And it's super, super, I love that he's doing so well and that everything is firing on all cylinders for the Cowboys. They're getting wins by. I like this. Dak Prescott comes back and loses his first game back. What kind of look is that for him? Yo, what kind of look is that? That'd be interesting. Like, remember what I said in week one or two where Jerry Jones wants a QB competition? I think we were, we weren't expecting this. We were expecting Cooper Rush to do very mid. If you listen to any analyst, they expected the Cowboys to drop off with Dak Prescott getting injured week one against yeah. Tampa. Yeah. It's surprising, to say the least. It's very surprising. And I love I love this offense right now with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. And even though Ezekiel Elliott's getting a little old on the and his carries are going down, where does that leave this kind of RB committee? I saw an interesting thing on the internet talking about how Tony Pollard has all the longest plays for the Dallas Cowboys right now. He has, I think, in the NFL, the largest, the highest yards per carry. Wow. So he leads the Cowboys and the league, obviously. I think so. Don't quote me on the league, but I know it's the Cowboys. It's up there. I'm sure it's It's up up there. there. Yeah. But something interesting is that you can't have these long plays with Tony Pollard if you don't establish the inside run game with Ezekiel Elliott. I think Ezekiel Elliott is good with taking the brute force of having to do the inside runs, and Tony Pollard's able to break out and really open up the def- or the offense for this Cowboys. I kind of like – I mean, obviously we'll never know until Tony Pollard is the lead back for the Cowboys. I kind of like the role that they're in right now. I mean, why stop a good thing? They're rolling right now. I do too, and it seems like Zeke's happy with what is, what's going on right now. And like you said, the longest play so far with the Cowboys, a 45-yard catch and a 46-yard run, and a 57-yard run, all by Tony Pollard. And Elliot only Elliot has 57 more yards on the ground as he enters week six if, with only with 305 yards and one touchdown. But t- Pollard has 248 with two scores. If that wasn't enough, Pollard is also averaging 1.8 yards per carry 
more than Ezekiel Elliott. That's 5.6 versus the 3.8. Yeah, the, the Cowboys definitely got a good thing going on right now with their running back core. It's definitely fun to watch this team. It'll be interesting to see moving forward. Who would have thought the NFC East would perform this well? I thought well? it was going to be so bad outside of the – I mean, obviously the commanders are just terrible. They squeaked away with a win on They're Thursday. They're the outlier for sure. Yes. Also, something interesting, though, is the NFC East in a row have the easiest schedule in the NFL. Yeah. I Yes. I, I'm with you on that. Is that a fluke? Or what is that? What even is that? Honestly – It'll be very, very interesting to see how the Cowboys size up against the Eagles. I think across the board, everyone's talking about how the Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now. This will be a real challenge for the Cowboys and for the Eagles as well. I think so, too. It'll be very interesting because you saw the Cowboys squeak one by against the Giants. Maybe a little bit more than squeak one by, but they played close against the New York Giants. On thin ice. Um, But, yeah, they came into MetLife Stadium and they got a win against the Giants. It'll be very interesting to see where the Eagles and the Cowboys shape up. It'll also be very interesting to see how the Giants do against the Ravens. I think that's their make-or-break game. I think that's the game where we can say, hey, this team's actually legit, or wow, they just got stomped by the Ravens, who should have beaten the Miami Dolphins. It'll be interesting to say the least how the Giants shape up against the Ravens. I mean, the Ravens are a legit team. They should be undefeated right now with the Ravens closely losing to the Buffalo Bills as well as the Miami Dolphins. This is definitely going to be your make-or-break game for the Giants to where we can say this team is a contender or they're just getting by because of their strength of schedule. They have an okay defense. I'll give them that. I don't know what they're doing over there defensively, but they're holding Aaron, they, they held Aaron Rodgers to a very mid-game, only two touchdowns, and they have an okay defense, but their offense is bottom 15 in the league. And... It's going to be interesting to see that ver- that number one Baltimore offense, or at least the top five Baltimore offense, against that Giants defense. It'll be a test for them for sure. But I think the Ravens are going to get it done. I don't think I don't know I don't think Dan- Daniel Jones is going to do anything good. Now this also leads to talking about the strength of schedule in the NFC East. The Eagles are obviously one of the teams to be right now. I would say right up there with the Buffalo Bills. Do we think the Eagles are Super Bowl contenders? They're in the bubble, that's for sure. I agree with that. They're in the bubble. The Eagles are definitely in the bubble of the Super Bowl, that's for sure. And the NFC, looking at it right now, is okay at best. The AFC is definitely much, much Like, stronger. I'm looking at other contenders. The Cowboys are all right. We don't know how what they're going to do in the postseason of playoffs. Vikings 4-1. and one. I think what? they're the best team in the NFC North. I think they're better than Green Bay. The Vikings? Oh yeah. For I think sure. so too. They got more points forward than the than the Packers by a lot. They have They beat the Packers for on week one also too. Yes. You know what's funny is the Lions have the most points forward in the NFC North and they're in dead last. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean their defense can't Oh my gosh, the Patriots blowing out the Lions. That was uncalled for honestly yeah. like that was crazy who saw that one coming little left little left turn there yeah that's for sure straight out of left field yep. like where did that come from yeah that was crazy but they the eagles going back to the eagles they're definitely in the bubble what do we think an nfc championship matchup oh i'm kind of biased because i'm a 49ers fan i think the niners are really good right now i think jimmy g coming back from them was the best thing that could happen this season granted there are some injuries in the defense 
right now. Um, Boza is a little bit beat up. Um, we're missing some key guys in the defense moving forward, but I think it's going to be Niners Eagles. Okay. With a question mark on that. Okay. Just because I don't know how really good. I still don't really know how good the Niners are. I think the NFC West is super weak. That which is really surprising because traditionally they're one of the strongest divisions in the NFL. They are. I think I have the Vikings and Bucks. Whoa. In the NFC Championship. See, I don't think the Bucks are good enough. I think they are. They got Tom Brady. He'll clutch it up for one last year and then we'll go. And then the Vikings, they've been playing really good football so far this year. Least uh, like the second amount, the least amount of points against against every any team in the NFC. I like the Vikings. Who knows? It's kind of a mid year, and the Vikings are mid. So let's it's just a put a hat on a hat. It's so exciting, though. I love it. There's a lot of three and two, two and three teams out there. Yes, it's making for an exciting season. It is. It really is. And along with exciting seasons, we have exciting calls too. I kind of want to touch on the roughing the passer a little more. It's. It bugs a lot of fans, but it's safe to say it's the refs are being a little conservative. Can you blame them, though? I'm no. sure they're getting hounded on by the league to really watch out for the roughing the passer calls because Tua's injury got a lot of heat. For some reason, I think that there are just so many more concussions this year than there have been the last couple of years. Yeah, it's crazy to say the least. It's so scary watching guys just get up and just stumble all over the place after they get hit on the head. It's scary. And then go right back under center and take another hike and then yeah. keep playing. Like They have these new helmets. I've seen Joey Bosa and Joe and George Kittle wear them. They look kind of funky, but if they work, they work. And if they should be distributed all around the league, so be it. I know that some NFL guys have the, the normal helmets and the quarterbacks probably have lighter helmets. And the kickers have, like, no padding or anything we're not going to talk about kickers right? <laughs> but it's the league is taking precaution that's for sure it's 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 a lose-lose situation player safety has definitely been a, in the conversation in the last couple years especially with cte being such a huge conversation yes and you see antonio brown's name circled around that a lot we're not going to talk about why you can figure it out for yourself yep go on um, twitter go on twitter um yeah definitely this year player safety is huge in the conversation this year as well with Tua and other guys getting concussions and a lot of players are stepping forward and talking about their experience with concussions and it's very interesting and I think the league is feeling the heat from the public about protecting the players and concussions so it'll be interesting moving forward seeing how the league handles that and um, any standards for helmets or pads in general and concussion tests moving forward it's definitely very interesting we will see what they end up doing with this at as the as the season goes on and i think they'll make some adjustments going on after the season i know they're doing it right now too and we are glad that doctors and officials are taking more and more precaution of concussion tests and whether guys should be able to get back into the game so that's a very positive thing to think about for sure very positive. Very positive. I agree. So that's all we have for you today. Thank you for tuning in to JNC in the evening. Uh, get us with get us next week. Championship series. Yep. It's going to be a great one. We'll talk NFL. We'll talk MLB. I think we might even talk basketball since the NBA season is right around the corner. Right around the corner. There's a lot of interesting things going on in basketball already. And 
hasn't even tipped off yet, so it'll be interesting. Yep. Hope you guys have a great week. Take care.